Well, today we are going to be looking at the theology of um, creation, which has been called uh, really dealing with the spiritual world. Okay, uh, what is part of the spiritual world? When you think about the spiritual world, what do you think about? Angels. What's that? Angels. Okay. Right. Demons. Angels. And he says, demons, which is actually exactly what we're going to be studying today. We're going to be studying angels and demons. But what else is part of the spiritual world? Anyone? The Holy Spirit. So God uh, yeah. is also part of the spiritual world, his spirit, okay. The reality of heaven. Heaven, right? So he uh, scripture has a lot to say about heaven and the heavenly realms, Right? So the heavenly realms and the sphere of the heavenly realms is really where you're going to find angels and demons. Right? In the heavenly places. It says that in the Bible, it says that God proclaims, the God, that he proclaims the truth of what Jesus has done to the demonic realms. And he says even in the heavenly places. So there's different realms and compartments in the spiritual world. It's very mysterious to us, right? Um... But um, how about this? How about just for ourselves? How about in the spiritual world, we also believe in the soul? Right? We believe in the soul. Um, those are just aspects of the spiritual realm or the spiritual world. But, as I said, our focus today is going to be to talk about angels and demons. And when you're talking about angels, the technical term for that is angelology. Angelology. And uh, some of that, I didn't know there was such a thing as angelology. Yes, and there is also demonology. Demonology. So that's really the, the two aspects of this that I think is important for us to study. Angels in the Bible are really represented by two words. Uh, this would be the Hebrew word, right, which just means... Uh, Malak and then Angelos. Angelos. Angels. So this is Greek. Okay. So Hebrew, Greek, Malak, Angelos. These are the terms that you would find in the Bible for angels and uh, even for a demon or fallen angels. Um, scripture speaks about angels everywhere. They, they play a very uh, dominant role in Scripture. You see them all over the place doing all sorts of different things. Um, one of the aspects about angels that we need to define right away is the nature of angels and the natures, nature of demons, that they are, sorry, non-corporeal. What does that mean? Huh? No body. Do they ever appear to have a body? Right? Right. Um, where? <laughs> Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah? Okay. Well, what happened there? Uh, the angels are coming to destroy the city, and the, the men in the city actually thought that they were men, and they wanted to uh, force themselves on them. So that angels have, a, they have an ability to materialize, right? They have an ability to materialize in the appearance of a human being. Uh, how about, uh, maybe I'll throw one out there. Well, well, maybe somebody else say, I don't want to take your thunder, but uh, any other examples? What's that? When Paul was in prison and they 
they let him loose and took him out through the door? Yeah, that's right. It doesn't it doesn't specify whether or not he was in a physical form, but maybe he was, you know. Um, but specifically where they are identified as taking human form. I'm thinking of, yes. Jacob wrestling with the angel. Jacob wrestling with the angel. That's right. He wrestled the angel. But that angel was a special angel, right? He was the angel of the Lord, the, you know. Uh, the, the angel of the Lord is an Old Testament appearance of Christ. Okay. Yes, sir. I would want to say uh, when Satan came to Jesus to tempt him. Yeah, and I don't know what form he took when he did that because it doesn't specify that he came like in the form of a man. Okay. But we know Satan has taken forms before, right? What form did he take? That's right. So he came materialized in the form of a serpent. But, you know, Wally brings up a good point. At the, the tomb of Jesus after the resurrection, the angel was so much in the form of a human that the women thought they were gardeners. They thought it was a gardener. You know what I mean? And, and so uh, the study of angels is really fascinating. I remember in the same account of the resurrection when the angels appeared, right? The disciples said that they had the appearance of lightning. And I thought, well, maybe that's just kind of a poetic way of putting it, right? Now... Uh, uh, how, how many people here from California? How many people grew up in California, right? How much lightning did you see in California? Yeah, not very much. Right? Uh, how many people are from Texas? Uh, come on. Hey, watch out, man. We're gaining on you guys. Uh, how much lightning do you see? <laughs> right? Have you ever looked at lightning like when you're driving and it hits real close and it bl literally blinds your eyes, Right? Uh, that's happened to me. I've been, whoa, I mean, you cannot look at the lightning. It's so bright. It's blinding. Uh, there's some scientific fact that says that a lightning bolt is so many times hotter than the sun. Ryan, do you know the stat? The, the, <laughs> the percentage or something? It's 2,500 degrees. <laughs> Even better. Just Google Ryan, right? Yeah, it's something, it's, it's literally like, I think it, they said something like a thousand times hotter than the sun. I mean, just unbelievable, right? So a lightning boy, a lightning bolt, literally blind you with intensity, and so that made me kind of think: well, Am I thinking rightly about angels? Do I think it's just these pretty, you know, figures? You know, we have all these misconceptions and these stereotypes and cartoon figures in our mind, but the Bible speaks of angels as being very, very serious creatures. Very serious creatures. They are ministers of God's judgment. They are God's ministering flames, winds, uh, spirits. Um, after Adam and Eve fell in the garden, it says that God put an angel to guard the way back into the garden. And if you went to try to get back into the Garden of Eden, what would that angel do to you? He would strike you down right where you stand. And in the book of Isaiah, it says that an angel went in and wiped out a hundred and no, what, what, what is it, 185,000 Assyrians. One angel comes in and just disseminates a whole army of Assyrians. Angels are very serious creatures, not to be messed with, okay? Uh, sadly, probably especially through Catholic art, angels have been uh, char characterized in less than the biblical portrait that is given to us in Scripture, which is not good. 
And um, let's see here, just other fascinating things about angels, of course, is that they are part of God's creation and they are distinct from him. They are not demigods, they are not part of God, but they are distinct from God. They are part of his creation. They are, as we pointed out, not only are they non-corporeal beings, but angels are also moral agents, moral agents. They're capable of morality, and they are also um, they are also immortal, immortal. Right? They will live forever and ever. Now, here's a question I have for you: How many angels are there? Yeah. Huh? What was that? I just thought. Is that a sound effect or the something? Question: How many angels can dance on the head of a pin? <laughs> Uh-huh. How many angels are there in the Bible? Ten? Ten thousand? At least three. Ten million? <laughs> three. Ten million? Because a third of them were dragged. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, um, there's a pretty good, um, you know, there, there's a pretty good amount of angels in the Bible, right? And uh, we are told, if you turn to Revelation chapter 5, Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5, beginning of verse 11. It says, Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders. How many angels? The number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. Now, that is, an, that is an old way of saying millions. The Bible didn't have a word for saying million. So we could, we could surmise that there are perhaps millions of angels, heavenly hosts, that are surrounding the throne of God. Think about that. We're not just talking about a couple angels walking around in heaven. We are talking about, as the Bible says, a mighty host, right? An angelic host. And... Um, just baffles the mind. Why is it important for us to study angelology and demonology? Why is it important? Okay. So the the role that they play, right? Yes, ma'am. Well, because it, it came, for one, you know, as Christians, we're heavenly minded, and so when you're dealing with heavenly minded things, you're dealing with the spiritual realm of things, which includes demons and angels and angels angels of demons and God's angels right so we're always dealing with um, the spiritual realm it's a reality in our lives yes ma'am the scripture says that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but principalities and powers and so and also uh, somewhere else in the bible it says we're not to be ignorant of Satan's devices right we are aware we have knowledge about Right. Better. That's right. And uh, hopefully you can read that a little bit. Our, it affects our worldview, right? It affects our worldview. We have a supernatural worldview. A supernatural worldview as opposed to what kind of worldview? Humanistic. <clears throat> Humanistic worldview. Naturalistic worldview, right? Where do we, where do we get a naturalistic worldview, John? 
Okay, so atheists will talk, will, will predominantly have a naturalistic, do they believe in angels? No. <laughs> right? Humanists, right, do not believe in angels or spirits. You read the humanist, the humanist uh, manifesto online, they will specify they have no need of angels or spirits or demons or devils or gods or nothing like that. This is a naturalistic, materialistic universe. No supernatural beings allowed, right? So this is very much, our belief in this very much distinguishes us from the anti-supernatural worldviews of the world. Be they scientific, be they medicinal. You go to a doctor, is he going to talk to you about spiritual warfare? <laughs> right? Would you talk to him about spiritual warfare? Maybe. <laughs> he might send you to the psych ward. Right? He might prescribe psychiatric help. Because he doesn't share the worldview, unless he's you know Christian guy or something. Um, that's why it's so important for us to have a good view of uh, angels and of demons. Um, why is it important? Let's let's shift our attention to demons for a second. Demonology. Why is it important to study demons? Uh, Robert Morey wrote a book, uh, Satan's Devices. Everything you'd ever want to know about the devil, we're afraid to ask. You know, sounds like a Robert Morey title, right? <laughs> Why is it important to study demonology? Right. Not he, ignorant yes, sir. He, he raised his hand, so he's oh. being polite. <laughs> <laughs> Just joking. I, I think of it from a, like a military perspective and knowing your enemy, knowing the limitations of okay. your enemy. All right. And be an encouragement to you. Right. So knowing right. what demons can and cannot do right. can be very helpful for the Christian who is waging war uh -huh. against principalities. That's right. Yeah, that's right. So turn to Ephesians chapter 6. And that really hits it on the head, right? It's the, the idea that we are in a spiritual battle, mm -hmm. spiritual warfare. So Ephesians chapter 6. Yeah, Mike? Uh, also, Jesus warned us, warned the world and, and inhabitants, that Satan comes to sift your sleep. He warned us about his devices. Yeah, Jesus just yes, so Jesus talks about the same thing. He warns he warns us about the danger of demonic powers, mm -hmm. right? And of Satan himself. So Ephesians chapter six, verse twelve says this. Our struggle, a fascinating passage if you think about it, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. There goes the humanist worldview. Right? Mm -hmm. But against the rulers. What kind of rulers and powers against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness? And we could still be thinking, well, is he talking about the Romans? In the heavenly places. In the heavenly places, some people translate that in the heavenly realm. Isn't that amazing? So here is our lives you know, in this terrestrial context, right? We're on this earth, in this physical world, but Paul says our battle is in the heavenly places, the spiritual world, right? And that's why when we, when we um, are looking to be evangelistic, when we are looking to uh, be concerned for our loved ones, when we want people to come into the Christian faith, we do not engage in carnal manipulation. Maybe I could just, how can I figure out, you know, maybe I could just get them to pray this 30-second prayer with me. And, you know, no, 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 no. We go to our knees, right? 
We pray and intercede and pray, God, please open this person's eyes, bind the devil, destroy as you have promised that Jesus came, 1 John chapter 3, verse 9, to destroy the works of the devil, destroy the works of the devil over this person, right? We engage in spiritual battle. And uh, I think Christianity today, today, far, far too anti-supernatural. Let's, con- let's admit it, right? Let's, in the time of confession here, we have adopted way too much anti-supernatural notions in our lives because of medicine, because of science, because of evolution, because of humanism, because of naturalism, because of political correctness. It's not politically correct to talk about demon possession. You start talking like that on Fox News or CNN, they'll think you're a nut. Yes, ma'am. When I was in uh, around, you know, starting my career, I wasn't a Christian yet, but I was going to Catholic school. Uh, so the idea is that one of my best friends, she told me that she used to see angels and demons and listening to voices. And, um, and I knew she didn't fit a psychiatric profile. You know, the typical psychiatric person that says, I listen to voices and they tell me what to do. So the typical, you know, person who thinks has a schizophrenia or something like that. Yeah. She was a very, very normal person and functional and everything. But since she was a kid, she listened to voices mm-hmm. and all these things. And, and that was like my first shock because in Catholic Church, you, you, you see the movies of the exorcisms, but that's as far as you go, but they never mention uh, in a church anything that has to do with demons or angels, right. that kind of stuff. And, and I didn't know how to help her because she's, she's like, tell me I'm not crazy. And I'm like, well, I can tell you that you don't look psychiatric, but I don't know what this all is and why you have seen it since you were a kid. Yeah. But it will be like torment to her. Like she will wake up with scratches and that kind of stuff in places that she kind of scratch herself, you know. Um, so I didn't know how to help her. So when I became a Christian, I brought her to my pastor. But my pastor is kind of uh, charismatic. So it was more like this spiritual warfare with fighting in the name of God and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I was just there like, So what's the balance? So, so what's the balance? So yeah, so this is like my stream, but, but then where do I get that? That's right. That's right. No, you bring up a very, very, very uh, practical concern, you know what I mean? Um, especially in the West, uh, to complicate matters even worse. Mm-hmm. Um, some churches who have engaged in, let's say, demon possession um, and trying to combat that in the local church has, you know, they've ended up in cr- with criminal charges being filed against them, you know, for certain things that went wrong. And, you know, it's a very sticky issue, but it doesn't mean we relinquish our belief in the supernatural and the demonic or the satanic, you know, and all of that. You know, I mean, I've been a part of an exorcism. Mm-hmm. That might shock all of you. It wasn't in America. It was in Africa. We were there, we were in Kiriandongo, which is deep in the bush of uh, Uganda. And a woman came to the church after the service, and of course the service is about three or four hours long, so be very thankful. (laughs) They don't stop. They just, one guy gets up and preaches, and then the next guy gets up and preaches. And Anyway, we'll stop right there, but it goes on and on. And afterwards, a woman came up and said, I'm tormented. She said, I came from Sudan. I have been, you know, visiting witch doctors since I was a little girl. And I'm tormented. And so they brought her into the assembly, started praying for her. She started manifesting all sorts of demonic activity, convulsing, foaming at the mouth, throwing herself on the concrete. You know, and I'm like, wow. <laughs> you know, so I'm a part of this, you know, but not really. I'm just letting you guys do it, you know. <laughs> but to what was more amazing, 
what was more amazing even than that was this, the, the, the nationals there, they were like, oh yeah, the yeah, woman's demon possessed, we're gonna cast the demon out in Jesus' name, and then go to lunch. I mean, it's so natural to them, so normal, so everyday to them, but to us Westerners, it's like so alien to us, right? We'd be like, call 911. <laughs> they don't have 911 over there. <laughs> They've got prayer, they got a Bible, and they got worship. And they cast the demon out in Jesus' name. She professed Jesus Christ. And I saw her several years later still professing Jesus Christ. Uh, you know, so there are some extremes, like what's the balance, right? There are some in the theological spectrum that would say, well, cessationism, the idea of the certain gifts that ceased, right? They would say that that also includes the idea of demon possession and stuff like that. That would go too far. Yeah. John MacArthur, who is a staunch cessationist, believes in demon possession, yeah. absolutely, mm -hmm. and has you know vouched for being uh, in the presence of demons himself. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So we cannot, as cessationists as you want to be, we cannot undermine the truth of demonology. Mm -hmm. And that's why it's important, because there is a balance there. Now, let me just kind of bring in maybe a qualifier that I don't know if the New Covenant Church there is supposed to carry on an apostolic ministry of demon expulsion. Who's the demon ex exerciser in this room? There he is. Welcome home, Josh. Some people on this audio is going to really laugh at that. But, uh, yeah, so, because that could be kind of a trip, right? Okay, there's a demon-possessed person. Is it my ministry? as a new covenant Christian to go and corral that person. Hold on, I got the answer, sit down, you know, come out. Are you gonna chase the person around and come out of him? I mean, I know that I have been in the presence of demons at UNT, right here, UNT. I had a Satanist come up to me who was so filled with demons. I mean, I could just feel it all over him. I was preaching and he came right up to me, got right in my face, said, hail Satan, and he was Deadly serious. He wasn't one of these, you know, silly, yeah. silly, you know, he was fully committed to Satanism. Mm. You think demons are involved there? Yeah. I think so. Mm. Yes, ma'am. Well, you know, going back to how we have to have a right understanding of the spiritual realm and, you know, demon angels or whatever, um, it's important because you do see even today Christians not having a correct view and understanding of how much authority Satan does have. And so, A, it's dangerous, you know, for a Christian to take it lightly to the point, especially if they don't have a right understanding mm. and studying, you know, doctrine. And they just, you know, well, yeah, he's demon-possessed, so we're just going to pray over him and rebuke him in the name of Jesus. Yeah. And I've talked to even family members. I'm like, you need to be very careful. It's like you were saying, who has that kind of authority and calling yeah, that's right. to even do that. Yes. And so if you're, you know, if it's done size, like to me, when I was growing up, I grew up that, oh, if you sent Satan around or somebody has Satan, you just, you know, pray over them and rebuke them in the name of Jesus. Or if you feel that you're being surrounded in the presence of Satan, you just stand in his face, you know, call mm -hmm. him out, right? Mm -hmm. And so if you don't have a right understanding and growing up that way and thinking that way, right. um, it's really dangerous. Yeah, that's yeah, right. Who does have so there's a there's a strict balance there, right? I mean, there's yeah. there's there's not being ignorant of Satan's devices, which Scripture tells us, Second Corinthians chapter two, you know, I think we'll forgot what verses two eleven. That's right. We looked that up the other day. 
and there are a few others. But, you know, we're not ignorant of Satan's schemes, the demonic realm, but at the same time, we're not careless, right? I mean, even, <laughs> I mean, the apostles themselves are like, look, the Lord rebuke you. I want nothing to do with you, you know? We're not go demon hunting, right? Isn't there rappers that talk about, like, demon hunting? You should know. You should know. You better know. I think I heard Shailene or some, somebody talking about that. Yeah, you know. Spiritual guy, you know, demon hunters. Come on. You know, it's just ridiculous. Or Bob Larson. You know, Bob Larson's kind of the popular guy. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, I heard a thing where he's on the phone with a demon and he tells him, please hold while we go to commercial demon we'll be right back <laughs> like, the demon is on hold you know I'm gonna wait. <laughs> I mean what a fascinating thing it is and how easy it is to deceive people with demonology if you don't have a proper view of demonology you could believe in something like Bob Larson putting a demon on hold while come back from commercial I mean people will fall for that kind of thing you know and um, so it's very important that we have um, we have this. So what about the origin of demons? When did demons become demons? Right? Because fallen angels, right? Yeah, that's right. And uh, and why were they fallen? Why were they fallen? So I want to talk a little bit about the origin, right, of demons. So um, why did they fall? He did five by wills and followed Satan. I'll let uh, Josh kind of chase that a little bit. What do you mean God decreed it? God, God decreed the fall, so by his orchestrating affairs, there had to be um, sin and celestial realm as well as the earthly realm. Right, okay. So God did ordain the fall of angels like he ordained the fall of man. So turn with uh, First Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 5. I think there's a little bit of a clue. There's not a whole lot of light on this. Anytime God doesn't give a whole lot of light on something specifically, uh, I don't know about you guys, but um, like, a, you know, like, a, like you're investigating something, right? You should immediately think in your mind, ah, it's probably best for me not to know. That's why he's not giving me all the information I want. Because it's probably best not to know. There's certain things that are not good for you to know. You can't handle it. You know what I mean? This side of heaven. Right? Deuteronomy 29, 29. The things that, uh, that, that are, what does it say? The secret things belong to the Lord. But the things that are revealed, that re belongs to us. So you better have revelation if you're going to be talking about these kinds of things. So First uh, Timothy chapter 5, verse 21. Uh, Paul says, I solemnly charge you, Timothy, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. And this is a clue. And his chosen Angels. Anybody have a King James? New King James? You read that. Juan. Charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that thou observe these things without preferring one before another. Right, right. Doing nothing by partiality. So demonology comes down to an issue of election. Isn't that interesting? There are certain angels who are elect and other angels that are not. So they end up becoming reprobate. This is so beautiful for us because the fall of Satan means God didn't stand up off the throne and go, oh no, now what do I do? <laughs> Satan, Lucifer fell, became a demon. No, it was all part of his sovereign plan, all part of his decree, 
right? Um, it's a very controversial, uh, sorry, very controversial word here, okay? Decree. What is God's decree? When theologians say, what God has decreed, what is God's decree? What is that? Um, somebody just called James White recently here and asked him kind of to define, because he uses that word quite a bit, the decree of God. And um, uh, he didn't have too much to say on it, and uh, it was good what he said. I don't want to disagree with James White. Okay, but um, what is God's decree? Yes, ma'am. Okay. What he has said from eternity past for the future. Okay, what he has said. Yeah. Yes, sir. Um, the things that will definitely happen. Okay. I think, Chris, you're on to something there, right? The decree of God is the things that God has willed. So in other words, for ordained, that's right. So in other words, it speaks of God's volition, his will, his volition, his choice, the things that God has determined, the things that God has purposed to take place. And guess what? Whatever God has purposed to take place will take place. <laughs> we, that's, what, that's the whole meaning of a sovereign God, that God is free. Remember Moses on the mountain? Lord, show me your glory. What was he asking? What is he asking right there? Anyone? Show me everything about you. Show me what you really are. Show me what it means to be God. <laughs> That's what I would ask if I was in the presence of God, right? And what does God say to Moses? John, what does he say? No. <laughs> okay, but what does he say? He says, I'll show you my backside. My... Anybody else know what else he says? Yes, sir. That's right. I will have compassion, Moses, on whom I will have compassion. And you think, what kind of answer is that? I asked you, what does it mean to be God? And you respond with, I have compassion on whom I'll have compassion. So he's basically answering his question. So he is saying <laughs> that what, what the glory of God, which you can't go any deeper than asking for the glory of God, that the glory of God fundamentally has to do with God's Freedom. That God is a being who is infinitely free to decree and to will and to purpose what he wills, what he wants. Right? Yes, sir. So what about the um, what about those that might struggle coming from a background where, you know, if you don't do a specific thing, you're doing God's second best. You're doing uh, you're getting God's leftover will for your life. That's a good question, because we could fall into great condemnation, right? If we ask the question, you know, is this God's perfect will for my life, right? So how do we determine if we're in the will of God? And it's kind of a, thanks for asking a completely different, but, you know. But it's, it's a long one. Okay, you're right, right? Because we're kind of chasing this rabbit anyway, but um, how do we know what God's will is? How do we know God's will? There's a decree of will. That's right. So that's right. So the will of God. Okay. Let's do a, a syntactical graph here. Okay. The will of God, we could say, has two different parts to it. There is His will of decree, sometimes called His secret will. 
And then there's his will of command, okay? Right? Called his revealed will. Would perceptive will be another name for that? Perceptive will? Yeah. Would that be another name for what could commands? be perceived? Yeah. yeah, I, just yeah. Wondered, I just like will of command because it grounds you yeah, in his true. revelation and his yeah. word, right? Yeah. So whatever God commands, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it is God's will that you do not mistreat the Son of God, right? It is his will for you not to mock and spit on and pull the beard and crucify this and murder the Son of God. That is his holy son. That is what he has commanded. You shall not murder. How much more? You shall not murder the son of God. I mean, that's the greatest evil ever done on planet Earth. But we know that his decreed will was that you would murder the son of God. He decreed it. He planned it. Even though... He had commanded that such a thing should not be. So, you know, God sometimes wills something higher than something else that he has willed. In other words, like some, some people, have, you know, refer to that as the, you know, the two wills of God. There are some things that he has willed that are more important than his, decree, his uh, revealed will or his commanded will, Right? I mean, he desires for all men to repent, um, but do all men repent? That's one way to interpret Second uh, Peter chapter three verse nine. But you know, um, also says in Lamentation, God does not from the heart afflict the children of man. Does he afflict the children of man? Just ask Job. <laughs> so revealed will, right? It is not God's. On one, on one fundamental level, it is, not the, it is not God's desire to afflict the children of men, but on a higher level, having to do with his eternal decree, he does afflict the children of men for his sovereign purposes. Any questions before we leave this subject? Because I know it's huge. You know, um, Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a big subject. It's puzzling. How do we always end up on this? Man, we're like hyper-Calvinists over here. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we only got, got a few minutes here. But just talking about the fall of Satan, turn with me to Isaiah. So we know it has to do with election, the decree of God, the volition of God. We know that God is sovereign over the fall. We know that, Isaiah 14. Isaiah 14. Isaiah 14 is a hotly debated passage. I personally fall on the very conservative side of this. And I do believe that this is indeed speaking of Satan. Isaiah 14, verse 12 to 15. Somebody want to read that whole passage? Who's there? Uh, Robert, nice and loud so we can all hear you on. How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn. You have been cut down to the earth. You have been weakened. You have, you who have weakened the nations. But you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. And I will sit on the mount of assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. Nevertheless, you will be thrust down to Sheol, to the recesses of the pit. To the recesses of the pit. And so there, the king of Babylon, this is really exaggerated language to speak of a king, right? 
Um, to speak of a king who wanted to ascend the throne, who wanted to, uh, to say in his heart he wanted to ascend to heaven, he wanted to be above the throne of God, basically, right? And so many uh, uh, um, scholars have looked at this and said, well, this is, probably, um, this is probably typological of Satan's own fall. And he was thrust down. And that's where Jesus says he saw Satan being cast down, sort of a parallel passage to this very, very thing. So Satan, the origin of Satan is very difficult. Um, because we're asking the question of the origin, not just of demons, but maybe more fundamentally, we are asking the question of the origin of sin. How did sin come to be? And uh, I don't know about you guys, if you want to take a stab at it, but I have read every major theologian on this issue that I can get my hands on, and they all come to the same conclusion that at the end of the day, we don't know. We just don't know. We have no basis. Bavink says that it will remain forever a mystery as to the precise impulse. What was the original thought? How did it come about? The conditions? How can it be? We can speak about the event and we can talk about the, maybe the, um, we can talk about the results of it. We can talk about, well, we can get close to knowing it originated in the heart of Satan, but how it came into the heart of Satan, how it came about. And we know we can't blame God. Because James chapter 3 tells us that God does not tempt anyone. He doesn't sin. He doesn't lie. He doesn't change. He doesn't tempt anybody with evil. Right? So God is not himself the author of evil. Yes, ma'am. Satan fell immediately after creation or before creation? Uh, Satan, in my opinion, fell. This is just my opinion, okay? You guys want to... Okay. <laughs> he fell after, uh, after, sometime after the seventh day, when everything was good, right? And before Genesis... So somewhere between here, before the temptation, but after the pronunciation of the, of, the, of the goodness of creation, somewhere between here, I believe Satan fell. Not I don't... Good, but very good. What's that? Okay. I was saying not just good, but very good after he created man. Very good. That's right. <laughs> right. That's right. Well, doesn't that perceive a problem with the idea of even thoughts, sinful thoughts are, are sin? to where Satan would have had to have the thought to tempt first before actually acting out on it and inherently by what we know through God's word that that thought in it of itself would have been sin. Yeah, yeah, I mean, of course that thought would have been sin. Yeah, at least to be tempted with that thought, to give in to that thought, right? right? Um, that would have been sin. Just kind of kicks the can down, can down the road a little bit further. You know, why did he have the thought? Yeah. You know? Yes, sir? Is it like all, all the deadly sins, pride is the worst? God despises pride of all? Is that like the, human, the doorway to sin? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if Scripture says like seven deadly sins. You know, I don't know if that's a truly a biblical, you know, I know the world, you know, I know that there is a, you know, kind of a, a, 
I don't know, there is sort of a caricature of that, you know, but I mean, you know, there's scripture that says sin is sin, right? One sin, right? Think about this, guys. One sin plunged the whole universe into chaos. And what was the sin? What was the sin? I mean, was, did, did Adam, were Adam and Eve mass murderers? In a sense, they were, but they, they preferred a fruit to God. Right? Selfish ambition. It's all self. Sin is all self. What's at the middle of sin? I. <laughs> right? It's all about self. That's what sin is all about. The idea of self-gratification. Right? Why do I want that drug? Because I think it will make me happy. Right? Why do I want that relationship that I shouldn't be in? Because I think it will make me happy. Right? It's a delusion. Of course, Satan uses <laughs> this to his advantage. You know, he promises happiness. Adam and Eve, you will be like God. You know, who doesn't want to be like God? You got people all over society wanting to be their little gods. Right? They're still falling for the same demonic lie that happened in Eden. You know, people say, oh, Adam and Eve, that's such an old story. You know, what is that Sunday school? You know, just some kind of fairy tale, you know. Are you kidding me? We have an Adam and Eve moment every day. Well, we have to choose. Are we going to obey God, trust in God, submit to his will, his commandments, or are we going to choose our own way and plunge ourselves into destruction? Right? Jonathan Edwards says, by one thought, a man can eternally undo himself. One thought. Yes, I will commit that crime. Yes, I will break the marriage covenant. Yes, I will steal that from work. Yes, I will try that drug. You know, one thought. You know what I mean? Your whole life can change just like that. I mean, this life is really serious. Life is really serious. I mean, we're almost done. Okay, so, yeah, I think this is where it happens. Somewhere in between here, I think, is the most... That's a conservative... Like, yes, if, yes, ma'am. If it wasn't where you're saying that it was, <laughs> then there would have had to been a fall before the fall. Yeah. And yeah, that's right. That poses a problem. Well, there was a fall before the human fall, the fall of Satan. Sin proper does not originate with Adam and Eve. It does for humans, but it does not for Satan. It does not for the angels. It does not for the demonic realm. So basically what you're saying is that the when angelic realm. Fell, fell, that fall didn't, did not spark the fall of the angels. Correct. Well, of course not. Uh, you have Satan in the garden already. Yeah, because um, Isaiah, the one you read right now. Yes, ma'am. It says, you know, um, you have been cut down to the earth. So creation already existed. So yeah, he was cast down to the earth as his right. punishment. Right, right. And uh, that's right. So God used Satan's fall. You know, remember I told you guys this. There's a Hebrew. Uh, there's a Hebrew phrase called, um, uh, and I think it's spelled like this. Uh, Felix culpa. 
Don't get excited, Felix. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Have you ever thought of the, of the fall that way? The fall is a happy fall. How? Because without the fall, there is no redemption. Without the fall, there is no redemption for you and I. Jonathan Edwards call it happy fall. You know, that's, that, that's looking at things through the sovereignty of God and coming out the other, the, the other end, worshiping God for even the fall. Amazing. Yes, ma'am. So we're, you were saying that no one knows where sin originated Right? Yes, ma'am. We know where where it originated. We know with whom, right? right. But we don't know how. How? Okay. Yeah, we know it was with Satan. We know it was in the heavenly realm. We know this is another very this is another last last point. Last point. Last point. Okay. Um, God when he created the angels, created them uh no, no, He created them. No, no, no. Explain in what word? Mutable. What does mutable mean, Josh? Changeable. Changeable. With a mutable will. Able to change. Right? To go from a, 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 a beautiful angel like Lucifer and to change his nature into Satan. <laughs> what does Satan mean? Accuser, accuser, right? What else is he called? Apollyon. What does Apollyon mean? Destroyer, right? That's right. He's the destroyer. He's, he's, what is, what is, uh, uh, what does the devil mean? Slander, slander, accuser. That's right. This is what he became, right? And this is what he does to us all the time. You know, how dare you call yourself a Christian? Look at what you've done. You're so worthless. You're so ridiculous. You know, he just unleashes on you. And, and he's, such, he's so evil, right? Because first, he promises total happiness, right? First, he's saying, do this. You'll like this. Experience this. This will make you happy, right? And, he, and he's a total tempter. And the second you give in to his temptation, then he becomes the accuser. How, how could you fall for that? You're so stupid, right? This is our adversary, and this is why it's important to study demonology. Know your enemy. 